Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church in our Sunday School Hour. This is the lesson we're going to present on January 15th of 2023. And uh, probably like you, I'm still having to make sure I don't say 2022. Um, hard, hard to get that in my mind sometimes. And by about the time I get it really good, the year will be half over. But anyway, bear with me. We're going to talk today out of the book of Haggai again. And when you think about um, everything that Israel has been through, uh, I want you to think about, and we kind of alluded to this in last week's lesson, the uh, people after the exile that came back with the remnant, they had the same problem, basically, that the people before had, that were warned by all of the prophets, you know, before Nebuchadnezzar came and before the uh, exile took place. And uh, it's, it's easy for us to compare ourselves to other people and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so, or, um, you know, we point out what they did, at least I didn't do that. And we forget the lesson that we learn when Samuel went to ordain um, anoint a new king out of Jesse's household where God said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And we forget sometimes what Jesus said about the heart. He told us that if uh, you have hatred in your heart, then you are guilty of murder. If you have lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. Now, he's not saying if thinking it is as bad as doing it, you might as well do it. I've heard people say that. That's the dumbest thing. Because if you actually do it, the consequences are much worse, of course. What Jesus was saying is, when God looks in us at our heart, sometimes it's easy for us to masquerade as being better than we really are. But when the heart is seen, then we find out that we are in the same boat as everybody else. We too are bitter and uh, have hatred toward other people. We too are lustful and greedy and covetousness about other people and the things that they have. And that's why David said in Psalm 139, search me, O Lord, and know my heart, because it's so easy for our heart to deceive us and to kind of cover everything up. And in the book of Proverbs, it says every man will proclaim his own goodness. A little bit of a paraphrase there. And uh, that certainly is true. And so getting to the heart of the matter is what really is the point. And so when you find the people before the exile, yes, they were worshiping idols and doing things that were much worse than this remnant is after the exile, but the problem is their heart was still basically in the same place. They were doing what they wanted to do and everything that God commanded and anything that had to do with worship of God or the glory of God, well, that got second billing. That was put on the back burner, to use another cliche. And yet they had time to take care of themselves and they could tend to their fields and their farms and their livestock. They could build their houses, but boy, just not quite enough time to 
get to the temple. One of these days, we're, we're going to have to do that. I'm sure it wasn't that they just said, we're never going to do that. There was just always something that was more urgent. The tyranny of the urgent, that uh, we call it. And many times, it's these urgent things that keep us from actually getting to the important things. I, I think we all certainly understand that. And so when we talk about the uh, people in the uh, aftermath of the exile, God is dealing with them, and uh, yet he's dealing with them uh, to get to the heart of the matter, we said last week. So that is why we have the title of this lesson, Which Direction Are You Headed? Because I think we find out that the people before the exile... They had basically the same problem as the people after the exile, except the ones before were so stubborn, they were going to continue in their own way, regardless of anything that might happen. Where the people after the exile, they may have had the same heart problem, but they also were willing to repent and to obey the Lord. Now I have found and uh, I'm sure you probably have as well, that whenever God deals with us, it's always best to do your repenting now. Somebody said, if you have to eat crow, at least eat it when it's still warm. Well, in this case, we're talking about repenting when before our hearts get hardened, before we get set in our ways. And so we need to be quicker repenters as we grow in the Lord, quicker to repent. It's not that as we grow in the Lord, we just don't ever sin anymore. I mean, hopefully that would be true. We may not ever be sinless, sinless, but we certainly ought to sin less. But it's always going to be a problem. What we need to learn to do as we mature is to be quicker to recognize our sin, to confess our sin, as 1 John 1, 9 says, and to repent and change our ways. Now, think about whatever stage of life you're in, however you may be uh, as a young person, as an older person, a new believer, a seasoned believer, understand that it's still true. We'll pick up our introduction here, that God is at work in all of us, whether we realize it or not, at work in all of his children. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that the one who began a good work in you, that would be God the Father, the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, God's still working on me. Do you remember the old little kid song that said, He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be? It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. Very true, isn't it? He is still working on us and we still need a lot of work. Some work is just clean up. You know, uh, if you have a car, you may wash it. I would recommend it. Wash it, vacuum it out every once in a while. But that's no substitute for changing the oil and the filter, rotating the tires and things like that. Some things are just for cleanup 
and just to improve the looks of, of things. Some things are necessary for it to run and to run well for a long period of time. And then, of course, it's got to have fuel. It doesn't matter how clean your oil is if you don't have gas in the tank. It doesn't matter how clean your tires and the body of the car is if you don't have fuel in the tank. All of these things are necessary. And the Lord knows that about all of us as well. And so there are different times and different ways that he works on his children. And I think the uh, pertinent question for us today as we look at this lesson is, how compliant are you? How compliant are you to what the Lord is doing in your life? Whether it's a cleanup or whether it's maintenance or whether it's uh, teaching you and empowering you, we've got to be complicit. We've got to be compliant with what the Lord is actually doing. Now, in these verses, God is confronting his people just as he did before the exile. However, this generation, the remnant, is quicker to learn, and they are going to be uh, going in the right direction in response to God's confrontation. So are you going to be yielded to the Lord like the potter and the clay, yielded to the master potter's hand? Or are you going to be stubborn and rebellious against it? And so one generation, the previous generation, was stubborn and rebellious. This new generation is compliant. Hey, that makes me think of when the Israelis came out of Egypt, that first generation that saw so many miracles, and yet they were the ones that didn't enter the land because they were resistant and rebellious toward the Lord. But the new generation, they were the ones that went in and conquered Jericho and all of that. Even Moses, remember, didn't make it into the promised land. We want to be the generation that is compliant and not resistant to the Lord. Now, that's the thesis of what we are talking about today. Haggai 1, verse 7 through 11 will overlap just a tad from last week. Verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much. You had high expectations, in other words, but indeed it came to little. You're disappointed. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and on the new wine and the oil, and whatever the ground brings forth on, the, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. So the Lord is saying, consider your ways. You need to think about what you're doing. How's this working for you? That's not always the right question, but it's not always wrong either. What's going on and why isn't the Lord providing and blessing the way that uh, the scripture indicates that he will. And it may be because there's some unfinished task. It may be because there's a rebellious heart. 
I mean, these people, again, had shown that they're willing to work and they're hard workers and they're ambitious, they're industrious and they want to rebuild the land, but they had their priorities out of order. God didn't come first. I'm reminded of, um, I think it's in 3 John, where John the Apostle says, Beloved, I wish that you could be in good health and prosper. And then he makes this statement, even as your soul prospers. So if your soul is not prospering, if your priorities are not in order, the other things probably aren't going to happen either. Or if they do, they're going to bring trouble with them instead of blessing. And so we've got to get things right. And like uh, people of all the ages, we tend not to do that because human nature is the same regardless of what generation you're in. So as we can think about uh, these verses, point number one would be this. Think properly and then act. Think properly and act. You know, sometimes we get busy acting, doing things without thinking things through. Have you ever started a project that you didn't think things all the way through? Maybe you didn't have the tools you need. Maybe you didn't have all the materials you need. Uh, that's an aggravating thing, right? We act before we really think things through or plan things. And so you notice here we have it worded like this. Think properly and then act. And that's the thing that we find lined out here in the scripture with what God says to them. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts. Okay, here's the order. Consider your ways. In other words, think about this. Think about this. And then... Verse 8, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple. Now, I thought about this. Uh, most of you have had a toddler in your home at one time or another. Children, grandchildren, uh, maybe a niece or a nephew, a neighbor, something like that. And have you ever thought about how toddlers how their minds work. And uh, boy, you'll go crazy trying to figure out how their minds work because they have very little reasoning ability. They don't, they're not concrete thinkers. They can't figure things out like you can. They basically go by their feelings and by their instincts, and those things don't always make sense. I saw a meme on Facebook one time, a long time ago. It said, hell hath no fury like a toddler that wanted the orange sippy cup instead of the green one. I mean, that's the way it is, isn't it? And we've seen little kids lose their minds almost because uh, you didn't have the right snack or the right toy didn't work right or something like that because they don't really think things through. Here's what we have in the lesson book. Toddlers make thoughtless, mindless demands. Thoughtless, mindless demands. I want it. That's really all they know. I want it. There's no rhyme or reason to anything. I want it is about as far as they go. Now, we've all seen that. And we've uh, seen things where a two or three year old perfectly fine, in a good mood and all of that until something they want doesn't work out. And then all of a sudden they 
lose their mind. Have you ever thought about this? A lot of us as Christians, we would like to think we're more mature, but we sure act like toddlers a lot. We go by our feelings, we go by what we want, we go by our intuition, our instinct, and um, we don't learn very well from those things. We make the same mistakes over and over and over. We kind of lose our minds, so to speak, instead of growing and learning. And uh, so we, I'm more toddlerish in my Christian walk than I would like to admit, and I suspect you are too. But I also thought about this. Toddlers obey in the same way, okay? Oh, isn't she sweet? She shared her toy with her little friend. Okay, I wonder why she did that. I wonder why that happened. Was it really because she's such a good-natured, wonderful little kid? That same kid that shares and is so sweet, three seconds later, wants the toy back, screaming and pulling on the toy, pushing on the other kid, and we wonder, what in the world happened? It's because they obey about the same way that they uh, disobey. Uh, very little reason to what they do. And so uh, sometimes they obey because it's routine or habit. It's really kind of funny when you keep uh, somebody else's kid when they're little like that. And uh, we've had this, of course, with the grandkids. You're getting ready to do something and put them to bed. And what is the thing they say? Well, mommy always does this first. And you say, well, yeah, that's good, but we're not going to do that first tonight. We'll do that in the morning. And they go crazy. Why? Because they are creatures of habit. And a lot of their obedience is just because that's just the way mama does it. That's the way daddy does it. That's the way we always do it. That's the way that I'm used to doing it. They don't really think about why. They just know that's the way that they do. And it also seems at those times when it works to fit in with what they want, what they like, or what they expect. You know, Daddy always reads me a story before I go to bed. Well, that works well, and they may be adamant about you doing that because they like it, they want it, they expect it. But sometimes they obey. Uh, let's put it this way, just because you're bigger than they are. You know, just because you're bigger than they are. When my kids were little... We uh, demanded obedience and didn't put up with a whole lot of the other kind of stuff. And it's just because this is the way we're running the house. We're the parents. We're bigger than you are, right? And uh, sometimes that works okay. For example, I always had it in my mind when uh, Taylor was little that if he were running out toward the street and I saw him and I said, Taylor, stop. I didn't want him to go, why? What's the benefit of this to me? Why should I stop? I want to go, because he might get hit by a car. I wanted him to freeze. I wanted him at my word just to simply stop, and we could talk about it, and hopefully he would learn later on. You know, so today so many parents, say they're afraid their kid won't like them, and they put their kid in dangerous situations because they don't ever want to tell them no. What if God never told us no. What if God didn't show us what the boundaries are, what the rules really are? And sometimes in our spiritual life, the only reason we obey God is because, well, put it this way, He's bigger than us. 
We don't really love him. We don't really trust him. We don't really understand what he's doing. We're like the toddler running in the street and he says, stop, or maybe thou shalt not. And we pout about it. We don't really get it. We don't understand it. And that's the way toddlers are. And yet you can tell that there's some growth coming to this generation of Israelis because the Lord says something that's very interesting to me. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. See, a toddler can't do that, but an older kid can. What do you think about that? How is this working? Why would daddy say no to that? Why do you think your mom and dad won't let you have that? Why do you think that that's not a good idea? And it's always a great blessing when you raise your kids right and you get to a certain point to where you can actually sit and talk with them like the Lord is doing with these Israelis, this generation. Consider your ways. Think about what you're doing. Compare things. Consider things. Because there are some differences between <coughs> pardon me, your ways and God's ways. Remember that? I think it's in Isaiah. As the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. And we've got to learn to love and to trust God and to know what he is wanting us to do and also to just believe that it's right because God said it. He's righteous. He's holy. He's loving. <coughs> he's merciful. He has a purpose in it. And this is a mark of maturity. So what I'm going to say is, this generation that returned after the exile is much more mature than the generation before the exile. And God can actually talk with them and say, consider your ways. He also says, again, I believe it's in Isaiah, come let us reason together, the Lord says. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I mean, you can actually talk with the Lord and understand his ways when you start growing up. If not, you're just going to pout, shrink away, be mad, and uh, keep rebelling and keep reaping the consequences. So think about where you are, why you obey, the perfection of God and His ways, and how your ways fall short, which is a definition of sin. And knowing God and submitting to His authority is vastly different than knowing his ways and understanding his ways. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 24, 4 and 5, make me to know your ways, O Lord. It's not just knowing God. A two-year-old knows his or her parents, but it takes a kid to be a little bit older than that to know about his parents, to know their ways, to know their story, to know their reasoning. And that's what the Lord is wanting to do with us. Teach me your paths, lead me in your truth, and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Okay? Let's hurry along here, because we're just now at point number two. Remember the reason that you are here. And that's in the last part of verse 8. And God says that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. There's your life. That's what your calling is. That's what your assignment is as a believer, to be pleasing to the Lord and bring glory to His name. And so God is the center of our worship, the center of our service, and that's where these Israelis were missing it. They were doing the right things for themselves and the right things for their family, 
but they weren't doing the right things in terms of their relationship and their walk with God. Like us, like us. And understand this, pleasing God and glorifying Him is the goal. With your life, with my life, with the way we parent, with our marriage, with our morals, with our interaction with other people, we want Him to be pleased and we want Him to be glorified. Pleased and glorified. Now understand, if God is glorified, He will always be pleased. And if God is pleased, He will always be glorified. Okay, did you get that? If God is glorified, He will always be pleased with that. And if God is pleased, then He necessarily will be glorified because it's impossible to do one and not the other. Now, we have to understand, whenever we say, I want to do something pleasing to God, we have to do what God commands, what God wants. This is not a, I think I want to get God a present. I wonder what I should get him. What do you think I ought to get him? And we all come together with a great idea and we bring it to the Lord. We don't do that. We find out what he says pleases him in his word, and then we take care of that. In Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, verses 10 and 11, says, But these people blaspheme in that they do not understand. They haven't considered their ways. And they are destroyed by all that they, uh, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So all they've got to go by is raw brute instinct and not understanding the ways of God. Now, reading on. Woe to them, for they have walked in the way of Cain and have abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. What is the way of Cain? Well, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, it says, And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. You know what the way of Cain is? We bring to God what we want to bring instead of what God demands. You know what Abel did? He brought what God had demanded, what pleased God. His heart was on pleasing God. Cain's heart was on pleasing himself. It's almost like he was saying to God, hey, take it or leave it. This is the best I've got. This is what I've done. And you better be happy with it. See, that's the way of Cain. And too many people are living their lives saying that God ought to be pleased with the little bit of time I give him on Sunday morning. Well, God ought to be pleased with the little bit of money that I give him. God ought to be pleased with the little bit of prayer that I offer up or whatever. And God says, no, you need to change your thinking and get in line with who I am and what I want and what pleases me. So offering to God what we want him to have instead of what he demands is certainly the way of Cain. And all false religion, all of it, falls in the way of Cain. And by the way, so does your sin. Number three, die to self and give expectations to God. That is one of the big keys of the Christian life. You have so many expectations, and then you pout and you're upset when you don't get what you want. But if you look at verse 9, you looked for much, and indeed it came to little. 
Now, it wasn't that the Lord didn't want to bless them. It's that their expectations overruled their service to God. This is what I expect. And they expected to have a nice house. They expected their vineyards and their flocks to work, but they didn't really expect that they would have to put anything into the rebuilding of the temple. Someday we'll get to that. And God worked on their expectations. And so he wanted them to look to him and depend on him. And the Israelites had expected blessing, favor, and prosperity by simply returning home. Okay, we're back. We're here. Now pour it on us, Lord. And they didn't want to rebuild the temple. They didn't want to take any responsibility for obeying God. They just thought he was going to be the, as we might say, the cash cow that was just going to pour it all out on us and we could just kind of ignore him, thumb our nose at him and never get around to doing what we were supposed to do. And a lot of people get into trouble because of that. And they were presuming, we're here, therefore God ought to bless us. And presumption is not faith at all. It's the thing when Jesus was tempted in Matthew 4, 6, and 7 that the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And we live so often by presumption. What will happen if I don't pray? Oh, the day went pretty well. I guess I don't have to pray. Well, I didn't go to church this week and everything went pretty well on the job and with the kids. So I guess church is not all that important. I didn't read my Bible today and I didn't get struck by lightning. So I guess reading the Bible is not all that important. That's called presumption. You're presuming on the kindness and the grace of God. You're presuming that you can handle your life without Him. You're living like a practical atheist, in other words. You're not one, but you're living like one. And that's never, never going to be a good thing. That's putting God to the test, living by presumption instead of faith. Just saying, oh, it'll all work out. God's sovereign. It'll all be okay. Well, that may be true, but that's not the way that we've been told to live. Number four, God intervenes to get his people's attention in the last part of 9 through verse 11. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Notice, who blew it away? Not the devil, God. I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds the fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. So in other words, God's not passive. He's not sitting in heaven folding his arms saying, well, I I don't know, I can't do a thing with them. I'll take what I can get. He doesn't play that kind of game. He has demands. And he says, I want you to worship me and to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the standard. Live up to it or 
there will be consequences. And he gets involved in our life because he's a loving father and he doesn't just let us go our own way and do what we want to do or run into the street and get hit by a car. He is the one who actively participates in our life, actively intervening in a loving yet a firm way in our lives. And so he knows how to get our attention. He certainly knew how to get theirs, didn't he? And he also was willing to touch every part of life because that's what he did here. Every part of their life was affected by all of this. And so God is a loving father. He is one who is going to be involved in our lives, blessing us and correcting us and doing whatever he has to do and getting as severe as he needs to be in order to actually get our attention. How long has it been since God got your attention? Think back to a time and how did he do it and what was it that happened? How did he get your attention? That was his direct intervention. So to conclude, I just want to read scripture. James chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions or your lust or desires. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, the self-sufficient, the I'll do it myself, the toddlers. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So what was the problem that Israel was suffering so much? Because they were proud and they were presuming and they were living like toddlers just doing what they wanted to do with no regard for God, His love, His mercy or even His authority just like we do. But to their credit, when God spoke, they obeyed. And God was willing to say to them, I want you to think about this. Consider your ways. Don't just operate by instinct or according to the pressure of circumstances of the moment. Follow me. And in the book of James, we saw that if we will draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. And if we'll humble ourselves, then we'll be exalted.
And so the ways of God are always right. Which way are you going? Which way do you lean? And how compliant are you when the Lord confronts your life? Good, good questions for people who want to grow and be blessed by the Lord. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for tuning in this week. And may the Lord bless you and we'll look forward as always to seeing you for next week's lesson. Again, thank you. God bless you.